G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Well, we often like to talk about the big issues on this program. So let's talk about what the primary threat to global security might be today. There are so many threats in the world, whether it be food security, whether it be the issues of climate change, whether it be the rise of what we'd know as the Islamic State. These sorts of things are big issues and they are big concerns for the world. What about things like the Ebola crisis and various uh, issues that we face as health threats? Well, let's talk about the biggest threats that face the world, the biggest threats that face our nation of Australia. And what a privilege to be able to welcome to our conversation today former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson, who's joining us. Hello, John. Welcome along to 2020. Good to be with you. John, you spend a lot of time these days speaking at various engagements and people are talking to you about the big issues. These sorts of global threats that we talk about Uh, They have various foundations. What is your response when people ask you about the biggest things that we face as a nation and as a world? Well, I think I'd say uh, before I get into the sort of the grim realities confronting us that um, never abandon personal hope. There is personal hope, always, always. Yep. Every Christian must believe that. But there's no doubt that if you look honestly and hard with integrity and clarity at what is happening, you've got a number of very serious crises unfolding. Not a pretty picture out there. And they do threaten to come together in a way that's quite frightening. If I were to be asked, I think, what I think is the greatest threat to all of this, or or to us finding a way forward on it all, I think I would say the financial weakness and the increasing moral directionlessness of the world's major economies, particularly Europe and America. Now, when we talk about a moral directionlessness, uh, some people will say, well, what is the political solution to all of these things? Who would I look to uh, to put my trust in to resolve these sorts of issues? Now, it seems to me that this is more than just a political issue. There is a issue here of... Uh, dare I say, a faith issue. There are religious conflicts that are going on around the world. The ideologies that are promoted from various sides of the religious debate, and it's more than just a debate because it, it really is an all-encompassing thing that's happening in the world. Yeah. But where do, where do these sorts of faith religious issues fit uh, in global solutions? You see, this is the, this is the important thing. I mean, given that we still recognise there's no great problem confronting the world today that can be resolved without the engagement, the full engagement of the Americans. It's still the world's superpower, you know, and it's still the one that's most engaged, even though the left carry on about it and what have you. Whenever there's a problem in the world, we expect the Americans to find a solution and to lead us forward. Um, But the, the tough judgment that has to be formed is that 
we have deserted the beliefs, essentially, in the West that drove the values and the behaviour and the ethics that made us free, that made us the most prosperous uh, and uh, the societies on earth that had the greatest opportunities for young people, that made us the envy of the rest of the world. We've deserted them. And now we've, you know, we've put up these sort of flimsy, easily destroyed notions of where our progress originated because as Blaise Pascal, the famous French thinker and writer, put it, we, we, men hate religion for fear it might be true. We want to airbrush out the embarrassing problem that we have that actually our foundations are to be found in Christian belief and in a Christian worldview, and in particular the idea that your neighbour matters. You should treat your neighbour as yourself. That's radical. The idea that the people with power, the king, the, you know, the despot, whatever, should respect the little guy as much as the little guy has to respect the big guy, that's Christian. Uh, indeed, it finds, uh, you know, in Paul's words, its ultimate expression perhaps uh, in the idea that we're not now Jew and Gentile, nor woman, nor man, or even slave, nor free. We're all one in Christ. That's incredibly radical, massively influenced Western society. We now want to deny it. So at a time when probably religious ferment and the, the sort of pursuit of belief around the world is stronger than ever, you've got probably six billion people who can't understand what a few hundred people in the West are talking about when they present the sort of secular view of the world, that it's not spiritual, it's not moral, it's not about corbelists. Well, it is. It is. That's as obvious as the nose on your face. The mere fact that we're talking about good and evil again, when we'd airbrushed out the idea of evil for so long in the West, tells you that we need to go back to basics, start to say again, ask ourselves the hard questions about the conundrum of good and evil and man's capacity for both. Let me ask you about that word secular, because if we were asking any of our political leaders in the nation to describe who mm. we are and what we look like, uh, they would say that we are a secular nation. And mm. That perhaps has different meanings to yeah, different it people. but It's changed over time. But what's appearing to happen when it comes to issues of freedom, uh, issues of faith, is when you say these things have now been rejected, they certainly have been marginalised in Australia. And so when we've got issues of faith and, uh, and religion uh, and under a secular uh, nation, the secular mm. nation has become, as some people would say, secular is another word for atheist, uh, the yeah. no-God nation. Yeah, that's right. See, uh, I believe in the separation of church and state. It's a Christian doctrine. It comes from uh, uh, Jesus' famous words when someone tried to entra uh, trap him, you know, uh, is it legal to pay taxes to Caesar? And he said, uh, you know, uh, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God, belongs to God. Um, the two should be separate. In that sense, I believe in secular government. However, what you've got to remember in a democracy is that your politicians and your governments are essentially shaped by the people who voted them in. And whilst it is not true that there are more atheists in the broad community. I wish the media would drill into the census figures more accurately. They don't show that atheism's increasing. In fact, atheism's been static in Australian society for a long time, and if anything, today's atheists are less sure of their atheism than they were decades ago. But people misinterpret the census data. However, those who control the public debate now are vehemently anti-Christian, by and large, by and large. And so you get this mockery uh, of 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 people of faith, of their faith itself, 
and perhaps most dangerously of all from a point of view of government, a denial of our own roots. See, we've got these flabby, you know, we've been into the revision of history so that we don't understand our own past. And, and if I were to say something to these secularists, I'd say two things, the aggressive secularists. Where is your model for us to live by? The 19th century atheists couldn't find one, and the new atheists, by their own admission, can't find one either. You want to burn down the cultural house of what's left of it that we live in. You have no shelter for us to go to. And until you've got one, then perhaps you might be a little less smug and a little less arrogant in telling the Christians how wrong they are. Because really, you know, um, let me take just one simple example that I'm fond of. Our society has been massively shaped by what we call our social conscience in the West. Where did the social conscience come from? I think I would argue, and I believe with good evidence, that it actually came from the anti-slavery movement, the abolition of the slave trade and then slavery um, less than 200 years ago in Great Britain, in our culture, less than 200 years ago. And it was evangelical Christians who led that lead. Now, we've airbrushed it out, but it was the greatest human rights movement of all times, and it wasn't led by enlightenment figures, which is what the secularists will now argue. It wasn't. You only have to read briefly the, the, the merest glance, actually, at the evidence will tell you uh, that English society uh, on the slavery front, the recognition of uh, you know, the, uh, the fact that skin colour doesn't denote your worth as a human being, on corruption in government and cleaning up the whole act so that England became the extraordinary place that it did at its peak, doesn't have its genesis in the Enlightenment. It has its genesis in the transformation of English society by the renewing of the minds of significant proportions of the population through Christ. John Anderson, stay with us. I want to ask you the hardest questions just ahead when we talk about how you might look for solutions to the global challenges that we face when you have an understanding of faith, faith in Christ we're talking about. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. We're talking about the biggest questions confronting the world today and therefore the biggest questions confronting Australians, talking about whether the solutions to the world's big problems are actually just political solutions or whether there is an appreciation that Christianity has been part of the foundation of who we are as a people and may actually be part of the solution as we move ahead. John, when we talk about the big questions, uh, the uh, issues of war between religious organisations, and, uh, and given that, uh, that many of the nations of the world, as we spoke in our last segment, would call themselves secular, which is therefore separating themselves from Christianity. But we know that the Islamic world looks at America and says they are the great Satan. They are fighting a religious war. How do we appreciate the value of our Christian faith uh, and at the same time govern for everyone and resist the evil that may be upon the world? Well, there's a bundle of issues in there, but I think the starting point would be to say that the great problem in the West today is that we've fallen into the terrible trap of thinking somehow we all did it ourselves. We were so clever and we've become so proud and so smug that we can't admit we've got it wrong. Can I just say we've got it hopelessly wrong in most Western countries? The indebtedness in Europe, which is a reflection of the old problem of not loving your neighbour, you haven't stopped to think about your kids and your grandchildren. The unfunded liabilities coming up, it's monstrous intergenerational theft. 
When the next generation realises how badly they've been dudded by the baby boomers and their politicians, they are going to be beside themselves with anger. I don't know how Europe will ever hold itself together. I know those are tough words. Our first step, I think, is a little bit of humility. You know, we've made a mess of it. And just as the answer to debt is not more debt, the answer to society's problems isn't more of the same. That ought to be pretty obvious. We actually need a much more honest dialogue about how we got into the mess, how we drifted from our moorings, where it's got us to, how dangerous the situation is, and what we might now do to retrieve a better place for our children and our grandchildren. It's, it, I believe it is that serious, and I think it starts with a need for us to be a little more humble. You see, we think it's all about us. We invented this clever world. We're not prepared to admit to ourselves we've made a mess of it. Uh, we always do when we make ourselves the centre of our own universe. That actually was the history of the 20th century. When man thought they could do it better, their left-wing version was communism uh, without God. Uh, they thought they, the right-wing version was fascism and Nazism. Both were utterly disastrous. As the good book puts it, uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. John, let Respect me ask you... for a higher authority. Let me ask you about our Australian context. Uh, obviously, these days, uh, a former... Deputy Prime Minister, leader of the Nationals, you keep close tabs on who's who in politics, in government. Is there a humility in those figures that you know in government that would be ready to say, you know what, we've gone in some directions here that may not be right. Uh, is there a humility to say, let's move into a direction that rediscovers our roots and therefore looks for some solutions for the future that might be based in that level of Christianity? My view is that there are. There's some, you know, we're blessed with some remarkable men and women in our parliaments who do want to have an honest dialogue. Um, but I think it's made very, very hard by the way the public discourse, not enough, and we need more, um, and perhaps we need more people with... Um, greater insights, but they're, they're there, you know, they are. I'm struck by the quality of many of the people we do actually have. I've got to say that, just as I'm dismayed by some of the people who behave appallingly in public life. Are I'm you also, talking both some, sides of politics? Yeah, I'm not going to be party political here. Yeah, you make good people in all parties. Um, uh, but, um, you know, the point that I would make, I think, is this. It's so hard to have a level debate now with the Australian people because the intermediaries have such strong views and... You know, we all actually need to be a little bit more honest of ourselves. Um, so there are three points of the of, of the triangle, if you like. There are the, there are the voters, there are those who are voted for, and there are those who help us communicate with one another in the media. To be honest, despite the fact that I think there are good people in all points of the triangle, there are enough people who say who want to deny the need for a more honest debate to make it really hard for people to have the debate they need. We're all in this together. Now, Australia's in the incredibly fortunate position, thanks to uh, two or three very good governments since the end of the Second World War. I'm not going to say any more than that. I'm not going to say that no, both sides, both, from both mm -hmm. sides. We are not in that debt-ridden position that Europe is. But I have to tell you, the trend lines are all wrong. There is a crisis emerging. Now, that's simply a matter of fact. And yet some people are in denial. Now, I'm not saying that to be political. I'm just saying I had years and years and years on expenditure review committees and ad hoc revenue committees and things. If there's one thing I do take away from that, it's something of an understanding of the danger signs. We've got a classroom called Europe before us and America, and unfortunately too, has done much the same thing with its levels of public indebtedness. We're not there. We don't want to go there. 
We shouldn't be comparing ourselves with them. We're fortunate enough to live in the Asian part of the world, which will be the happening part you know, of the world for the next century. Um, we need to have a more honest debate about things like intergenerational theft and what we leave our children in the Treasury. You mentioned hope earlier on in our conversation. If you were trying to prioritise some of the things that have to be in place to take steps forward that would see some good outcomes for the nation, where does, where does hope, where does Christianity, where does faith, where does uh, getting the right place for those intermediaries, as you say, as I'm going to say, as uh, the secular and mainstream media, uh, as well as uh, social media and the, the uprise of all of those things, those sorts of priorities, how do you get those into uh, solutions and getting onto a right footing for the future? Well, I think to sort of repeat what I said earlier, it requires, I think, a bit of backing off from our smugness and our pride. The issues we face are enormous. The classroom of uh, so much of the rest of the world is before us. Uh, if we're not careful, we'll end up in a mess. The whole of the West needs to take a good dose of humility and say we are in a serious situation. We need a much more honest dialogue. It starts with integrity. But I also think, I mean, look, I, obviously I'm a Christian believer. I, I believe in an all-powerful, omnipotent God who intervenes in history and, and, and who is deeply and compassionately concerned for each of us, wants the best for us, uh, he's not to be shunned. I think that's very unwise, and I think history demonstrates that time and time again. I think one of the ironies of the world today, you know, is, is that many of the people who want to attack the West would respect the West a lot more if it's owned its own beliefs. And the irony there, the further irony, is as again, as I say, the chattering classes, the people who dominate the airwaves and so forth, would have you believe that um, you know there's no place for religion anymore. I mean, can I tell you, that's, it's just wrong. This is going to be a century of enormous religious ferment, and religion is already shaping the world massively, so hadn't we better go back and start to think honestly about what people believe and seek again for truth and for goodness and for that which is noble? Well, John, I know that listeners to our conversation will be heartened to hear these words coming from the lips of someone who uh, held high office as former Deputy Prime Minister in our national government. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk through some of these issues, and I look forward to some more conversations into the future, and perhaps we'll get together again next year uh, and uh, talk through some more of these things, perhaps with a, an idea of uh, commenting on and talking through the issues that are unfolding, and not just here on our Australian shores, but globally. John Anderson, uh, great to have you as a guest today on 2020. Thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you. I just make the comment that um, I've been enormously sobered since I left public office because that was about the time the GFC started. So it's moved my thinking a lot. And I'm now, I'm now very deeply concerned that we need to lift the standard of integrity in the public debate, integrity about what is happening, about what we're confronting, and be humble enough to say, when we're left to our own devices, we don't get it right. We make a mess of it. John Anderson, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.